0: Welcome in to OutKick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays wherever you may be across this great country or around this great land. So you are aware, um, I may or may not be live tomorrow with OutKick the Show uh, because I may try to get downtown to Nashville to watch some of the SEC basketball tournament. But regardless of how that goes... I will certainly be out for like the next 10 some odd days, not because I'm running scared, uh, but because I'm running to Italy. Uh, I'm leaving on Friday with my family. We are going to Italy. We'll be over there for spring break. I've never been to Italy. We're going to be in Florence, Rome, and uh, in Naples. I cannot wait to check it all out. Uh, That is where I will be. I probably will be less active on social media. Um, and, uh, then I'll be back. So, uh, I may or may not do the show tomorrow. If I don't, and you're looking around you're like, where's Clay Ben? You're on YouTube. Thank you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for liking the shows. You're wondering why there's not an update coming down on, uh, any of these shows. Uh, then that's because there are no shows. Uh, Buck will have the radio show solo. So we'll have continue to have brand new shows, uh, there, but, We'll see what kind of crazy news happens. I doubt that I will be doing television, certainly, or videos or anything else. I may be on Instagram posting photos uh, just on vacation, but that's just a heads up. If something crazy happens the next 24 hours, I might postpone going down to watch the SEC basketball tournament and do a show tomorrow, but we'll just wait and see uh, what ends up happening there. Got a lot of different stories to hit here. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, the contract discussion, Uh, Novak Djokovic, what's going to happen with him not being able to enter into the country? Michael Irvin has filed a lawsuit over what happened around the Super Bowl, he alleges. And our friends at Media Matters have another hit piece up about me. I appreciate all the free publicity. Uh, But let's start with the Lamar Jackson discussion. So yesterday, right as we were starting the show, uh, the news came out that the Baltimore Ravens had franchise tagged Lamar Jackson. That means he would make over $30 million next year. And it would also mean that the Ravens have the right to match any offer that is made by any other team. If they do not match that offer, then they would get two first-round draft picks from the team that signs away Lamar Jackson. Shortly thereafter, individual teams like the Carolina Panthers, I think, the Atlanta Falcons, individual reporters who cover those teams announced several different teams would not be pursuing Lamar Jackson. And almost immediately, on Twitter, two things were alleged. This is racism. This is collusion. I think both are incredibly dumb arguments. And I'm going to explain why in an intelligent and nuanced take that you probably will not get anywhere else in all of sports media. So let me just describe this in general. There are two different sides to this negotiation. Baltimore Ravens side, Lamar Jackson side, right? Two different parties. Both of them in my opinion are engaging in eminently rational behavior. One, the Baltimore Ravens want to pay Lamar Jackson the least amount that they can to have him continue as their quarterback because they do not want to hamstring their overall franchise in the possibility that Lamar Jackson either gets hurt or that his play begins to deteriorate, maybe as a result of an injury. Okay, so the Ravens are being eminently rational in trying to get a reasonable contract offer put together for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is also being eminently reasonable in demanding the largest possible guaranteed money contract that he can get from the Baltimore Ravens predicated on his past behavior. Both of them can be looking, both Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, at the larger atmosphere, at the larger marketplace of quarterback salaries. Lamar Jackson can look at Deshaun Watson's deal and say, I've stayed out of complete trouble. I've been an incredible asset to this organization. We have won at a high level. You haven't surrounded me with a great deal of offensive talent at the wide receiver position. Mark Andrews has been great at tight end, but I think it's fair to say the Ravens have not supplied Lamar Jackson with incredible wide receivers. Uh, And so I deserve to be paid something similar to what Deshaun Watson got paid. Deshaun Watson got the biggest guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL Around in the history of football, around two hundred and fifty million dollars. That's a very reasonable perspective from Lamar Jackson. It's also reasonable for the Baltimore Ravens to be looking at that contract and saying, "Boy, if this doesn't work out, we are sabotaging our franchise's future." The th- okay, so that that's the perspective, and this is what labor and employment do. Okay. This is what employers, and I've been an employer, if you run a business, your goal is to get people in for the lowest possible dollar that you can to allow you to maximize your profits to the best ability, and frankly, given the salary cap, the better deal the Ravens can get done with Lamar Jackson, the better the talent is they can surround him with. That is eminently reasonable by the Ravens. Simultaneously... It's eminently reasonable from the talent perspective, and I've been the talent as well. I've both run businesses and signed people to contracts and been signed to contracts. It's eminently reasonable for the talent to feel like he is not being compensated enough. Those of you who know my story well, I'm not an NFL quarterback, okay? I did local sports talk radio. We had the highest rated local sports talk radio show in the country, I was making $45,000 a year, okay? I now get paid more to talk for 45 minutes in a public speaking engagement than I got paid when I was doing radio for an entire year of three hours a day of radio. I was wildly underpaid. When my contract came up, I went to management when I was working at 104.5 The Zone at 3HL, and I said, I expect for my contract, my salary to be tripled. I think I'm that good. I am wildly underpaid. You guys need to triple my salary. Management said, okay, we've got you. By the way, I should also mention that they had tried, another company had, previously to buy out my existing contract and give me a national radio show. And my bosses at the time said, we know what your market value is. We will take care of you when that day gets here. I said, okay, I want out. I want to be able to do national television. I've got a year and a half or so left on my deal. You're telling me when my deal is up, you're going to take care of me. You know exactly what my market value is. When it came time for me to get an offer, they offered me a $5,000 salary increase. I asked for triple my salary. They offered me a $5,000 salary increase. That breaks down to $20 a day in salary increase. When they made that offer to me, I found it to be so disrespectful because they knew my work ethic, they knew my value on the open marketplace that I didn't even counter. I said, okay, I appreciate it. Literally the day I got that written offer... I quit. I said, I'm not working here anymore. So I have been talent that feels disrespected on an offer. And I responded to it by saying, peace out. You've seen me work for years. You know what my value is. Literally, I brought you written offers to buy out my contract. You said there was no dollar you would allow my contract to be bought out for. You said you would take care of me in the next contract and then you offered me a $20 a day raise. I could counter, but instead, those of you who used to listen to the radio, I never came on the radio again. I said, peace out. I'm not going to work here anymore because you knew my value and you disrespected me. And you knew how hard I worked. You knew how much money I had made you. And I said, I'm out. And it was the right decision for me because I ended up doing National Fox Sports Radio. And like I said, I make more money now to talk for 45 minutes in public speeches than The Zone was paying me for doing an entire year of radio, three hours a day, 15 hours a week, 50 weeks a year. So I knew my value. So I understand Lamar Jackson's perspective In this case, he knows his value. Moreover, he looks around and he says, wait a minute, I'm better than Kyler Murray. I'm better than Deshaun Watson. Probably thinks he's better than Russell Wilson. Probably thinks he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and he should, because that's how you are a badass. You don't look around and say, oh, I'm not as good as that guy. I guarantee you Lamar Jackson thinks he's the best uh, NFL quarterback. So I respect the fact that he's saying, you're undervaluing me, I'm not going to sign. I've been the talent who has been undervalued. I did something that almost no talent does. I threw up the deuces and walked out on a show because they disrespected me to such an extent with the offer. Lots of people want to do it. Almost nobody actually does it. I did it, okay? So I can understand both the labor, that is the talent, and I can understand the business. They're both trying to maximize their ability in this case neither one of them is behaving wrong. What the Ravens basically said is, we're going to franchise tag you, but we'll let you go out to the open marketplace and see what somebody else is willing to pay you. And if they're willing to pay you more, we'll look at that offer. We have the right to match it. And we'll choose either to match it or take this two second, two first round draft picks. I think it's eminently reasonable, both of the way M- Lamar Jackson has behaved and also eminently reasonable how the Ravens have behaved because the Ravens are basically saying, hey, we're offering you more than you could get on the open market right now, okay? Now, granted, it's not a full open market because whoever signs Lamar Jackson has to give up two first-round picks, but again, the open marketplace, if right now, let's say, Patrick Mahomes were available on the open marketplace how many NFL teams would give up two first-round picks for Patrick Mahomes? I think basically 31 teams would, right? Almost any team that could get Patrick Mahomes would. So, that is why I'm disappointed the way that the media has reacted to this. Because most people in the media have gone to one of two levels. Either it's racist or it is collusion. I'm going to start with the collusion. It's not collusion... Okay, let me explain why it's not collusion. First of all, collusion is illegal, right? So 31 other NFL teams deciding they aren't going to pay Lamar Jackson would be collusion. That is a criminal behavior. Moreover, the NFL is so hyper-competitive, why would the rest of the NFL lay down and make the Ravens situation better? It doesn't make any sense at all that everybody would say, oh, the Ravens are not paying Lamar Jackson enough. Rather than offer him more money, let's all 31 NFL teams agree that we're not going to pay him too and let the Baltimore Ravens get their quarterback way cheaper than they otherwise would. The collusion argument is not smart. I think what's going on is a lot of people looked at Deshaun Watson's contract. He didn't make the playoffs. A lot of people looked at Russell Wilson's contract. He didn't make the playoffs. A lot of people looked at Kyler Murray's contract. He didn't make the playoffs either. And they said, those are the three guys with the most money given to them. By the way, Aaron Rodgers, fourth, also didn't make the playoffs. And they're saying, boy, I wouldn't want that Kyler Murray contract on my books. I wouldn't want that Russell Wilson contract on my books. I wouldn't want that Deshaun Watson contract on my books. And the way that teams react is, For competitive purposes, they look at the way that these deals are organized, and they either try and replicate them, or they say, boy, we don't want to make that mistake, okay? Second, some people are saying it's racist. This is a stupid argument, okay? The NFL is a hyper-competitive business. If your competitors are racist, then you should be able to benefit off of their racism, because it would mean that you could get a black quarterback cheaper because the other teams were racist. If that were the case, not only would you win by not being racist, which should be the goal, right? Identify and judge individuals based on their talents, not whether they're white, black, Asian, or Hispanic, okay? That would have been the goal. You'd be able to benefit, and you'd get a quarterback cheaper which would mean you'd be able to spend more money on talent surrounding that quarterback. But what ultimately blows all of this up is the three highest paid quarterbacks right now. Guess what? They are all black. This is from my guy, Warren Sharp. He shared this. Deshaun Watson is guaranteed $230 million. He was accused of sexual assault by 30 different women. Now, there were not criminal charges brought, but he has settled many of those civil lawsuits. He hasn't even played barely in two years. He wasn't very good in the six games that he did play this year. Yet the Cleveland Browns gave Deshaun Watson, who happens to be a black quarterback, $230 million guaranteed the most money guaranteed that any person in the history of football has ever received. That is a lot of money. I don't believe race has anything to do with it. I think the Browns thought Deshaun Watson's going to be an elite quarterback. We need him for the rest of his career and we'll do whatever it takes to get him. That's what I think happened. Okay. Second most guaranteed money. Again, this is Warren Sharp's graphic. Kyler Murray. $189.5 million guaranteed to Kyler Murray by the Arizona Cardinals. Also, again, it bears repeating, a black quarterback. Third most guaranteed money, Russell Wilson, $161 million guaranteed for the Denver Broncos, also a black quarterback. Explain to me if the NFL was racist how they were against black quarterbacks how it would come to pass that the three highest paid most guaranteed money deals that currently exist in the NFL Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson are all black quarterbacks. And right after that we'll continue the discussion but first a momentary break the arguments are really bad in favor of collusion and in favor of racism. Yet they are dominating every discussion point in the NFL. And I hope that when we clip this and when we share it, you will share it with your friends because both the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are behaving rationally. This isn't about collusion. This isn't about racism. Now, Maybe somebody out there is going to believe that Lamar Jackson is worth way more money than the Ravens were willing to pay him. If so, then Lamar Jackson will know that the Ravens' offer was not at the market rate. Ultimately, you are only worth what someone is willing to pay you when you are an employee. I mentioned earlier, I threw up the deuces. I walked out when I got offered a $20 a day raise. Do you know what I did? Also, when I didn't feel like I was being valued correctly in the written marketplace online, I started my own business. I started Outkick, and that turned me into a supremely wealthy individual. If I had relied on just remaining an employee, I would have had to deal my whole life with businesses not paying me what they thought uh, what I thought I was worth. So if you feel like you are being undervalued in your labor, you don't have to work. You don't have to sign a contract to continue to play. I went out and started OutKick. My point in general, and this is what I hope a lot of you listen to here, you shouldn't aspire to be highly paid, in my opinion. You should aspire to own your own business. Because if you are an employee, as opposed to an employer, you're always going to be undervalued probably relative to what you are worth because the employer has to make money off of you to justify what they are paying you. If you own your own business, there is no ceiling. You control what you are able to be paid. So that's my big picture idea out there. Uh, I think Lamar, I, I get it. If Lamar Jackson was like, hey, uh, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, think, I don't think he has an agent, uh, traditional agent anyway, I would sit down across the table from Lamar Jackson. I'd be like, dude, I get it. I think you're 100% right. You want to maximize your revenue. You're putting your body on the line. You are talent and you feel like your talent's being undercompensated based on what other guys are getting paid. I get it. And also, if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, and I am the owner of that franchise, I can't handcuff my franchise forever and pay someone more than I think they're worth. So I understand both perspectives. We'll see if there's an open marketplace out there, but I think, it's, I think this is one of those times where, one, the sports discussion is really dumb, right? Collusion, racism. Most sports media are not very smart. They've never run businesses. They've only been employees. They can't actually understand the larger perspective. But I think this is one of those sports stories that is actually illustrative and illuminating for many of you out there, regardless of what you do in your careers. Because I've been there. A lot of people out there feel like, hey, I'm getting underpaid. I, I got offered a $20 a day raise. I want you all to think about this for a minute. That's $7 extra an hour to do a radio show. After they told me they, was gonna, they were going to take care of me, I could have gotten a job at McDonald's and made more money from that job working three hours a day than they offered me to continue to do a three-hour daily radio show. $20 a day. (laughs) Now, look, I've been poor, so I ain't saying $20 a day is nothing. But when you're getting paid less than minimum wage as a contract extension offer, it's not a good feeling. What gave me the ability to throw up the deuces and walk out was I had built my own business by that pointed out kick. And some people still would have said I was crazy, right? I'm a risk taker. Some people out there would have said, what in the world are you thinking? You're walking away from guaranteed money doing a local radio show. You're an idiot. You're never going to amount to anything. Well, then I had a monster success on national radio in the mornings. Had to get up at four something in the morning every day for six years. That did not, was not awesome. And now I'm on the biggest radio show in the country. If I hadn't bet on myself, I'd still be sitting in that studio probably at the zone making $20 extra in every new contract that I got. I didn't hate the job. I just knew they're not making as much money off of me as they could be. And they're certainly not making as much money as I'm worth. And so I was willing to walk out. Maybe Lamar Jackson, for a principled perspective is actually going to sit back and say, I'm not willing to play for $30 million. I think I'm worth 50. More power to him if he does. Most people aren't willing to do that. They're going to take whatever the offer is, and $30 million is a lot. But if Lamar Jackson takes the $30 million franchise tag, runs out week two, blows up his knee, and is never able to play again, He would have lost hundreds of millions of dollars by that decision. I get it. I get it in a big way. And so I respect Lamar. I understand the Ravens' perspective. I just think this conversation has been occurring at an incredibly dumb level, befitting, frankly, much of the stupidity that passes for content in sports media on a day-to-day basis. One reason this show dominates, because you can't hear that conversation anywhere else. Uh, Okay, I thought this was funny. I got to give Ron DeSantis props on this. So Novak Djokovic, as I have been saying for, it feels like years now, not able to come into the United States because he refuses to get the COVID shot. Stupid policy, makes no sense. Five million people have walked across the southern border. In theory, Novak Djokovic could go down to the southern border and he could say, hey, I'm going to cross the southern border here. And he could join the five million people who walk across our southern border, come into the United States for years and never actually have a COVID test and never have gotten the COVID shot. He could theoretically expose the stupidity there. I'm leaving on Friday and flying to Italy. I have never gotten the COVID shot. My kids have not gotten the COVID shot. We're allowed to take off in the United States, land in Italy, stay in Italy, turn around, fly back into the United States. There's no requirement uh, that we have to show COVID shot proof to be able to return to this country. I wouldn't go to Italy and try to come back into the country if they required the COVID shot or if it was required to come back into the United States. Why in the world is it required of Novak Djokovic, who's already had COVID multiple times, has natural immunity, as I do. I've had COVID at least twice. What in the world is the Biden administration protecting here? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has pointed out this absurdity, not by citing the southern border, as I have for a long time, but by pointing out that Biden's rule only seems to apply to air travel and that Novak Djokovic would be able to fly to the Bahamas and that Ron DeSantis says he will get a boat and bring Novak Djokovic to the state of Florida so he can play in the Miami tennis tournament. This is really funny. If I were going to be in the country, I would think it was amazing if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was grabbing the steering wheel and uh, hopefully what would be a nice boat hitting the swells coming from the Bahamas to Uh, Florida. I would love to be on that boat with Novak Djokovic and Ron DeSantis. I think that is one of the funniest ideas of exposing the Biden administration hypocrisy that I've ever heard of. I think it would further solidify Ron DeSantis's popularity in Florida. And importantly, I think it would succinctly demonstrate how ridiculous so many of the Biden policies as it pertains to COVID and beyond are still in place. But it makes absolutely no sense Props to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for pointing out this absurdity. Shame on Kareem Jean-Pierre for defending this by saying the rules are the rules. Well, if the rules are stupid, they shouldn't exist. Uh, And shame on Joe Biden and his entire administration for continuing to be anti-science imbeciles. Uh, Kid drag shows. This has been a big story. I don't understand. So let's take a step out of kid drag shows. I have been in my life, this may stun some of you, I have been in strip clubs. I know I know I know some of you out there are like you fell down on your couch, you grabbed your pearls, you are aghast, you are staggered. I have I'm just being honest. I have been in establishments where women don't wear very many clothes, in fact take them off and men pay them for doing so. I have been in strip clubs been in strip clubs all over the country. In fact, I've been in strip clubs, hate to brag, all over the world. And I've never thought to myself, you know, I should bring one of my kids to a strip club. They're young. They are not able to enter into a strip club because most strip clubs either require you to be 18 or 21, depending on what they do with alcohol. I am now old enough to get into a strip club. So, why is it, as I watch all of these drag shows, if me and a bunch of guy friends were like, hey, we're going to get together for brunch. By the way, side note, I don't know that men get together for brunch very often. In fact, I don't think I've ever gotten together with brunch for brunch with any of my guy friends ever. But just side note, let's pretend that men love to do brunches. And I texted some of my buddies who also have young kids, and I said, I got a great idea. We're going to do a brunch and I'm going to get a stripper to come and perform at this brunch and we're going to bring our kids and our kids are going to be there and they're going to be giving dollar bills to these strippers and the strippers are going to come out and they're going to have pasties. You may see their nipples every now and then they're going to have thongs on, they're going to have high heels. They're going to be super hot. Make sure you have your six-year-old with you for this performance. I'm going to bring my eight-year-old. I can't wait. I think he's going to love the strippers. If we did that, every man at that strip club show, sorry, at the brunch show that featured a stripper would probably be arrested and charged with child endangerment. You guys, look at you know this is true. Yet I watch all these videos now of mostly white women, mostly moms, and they are taking their young kids to drag show brunches. And instead of being heterosexual female strippers, men pretending to be women with often big fake boobs and thongs and the same clothes that strippers would be wearing, high heels... They're performing and gyrating for all of these kids and the moms are standing up and cheering and sometimes putting dollar bills in the garter belts of these dudes who are doing drag shows. If it were not drag, if it were just heterosexual strip club performance... And I was there with a bunch of other dads, and we all had young kids with us. That would be child endangerment, and we would be charged with crimes. Why, if men did it heterosexually, and by the way, this is crazy, right? Like I would never think of taking a young kid to a strip performance anywhere. In fact, there are some stories out there, some of you may remember, of dads actually going to strip clubs and leaving their kids in the car in the strip club parking lot because they couldn't take the kids in to watch the strip show. Not ideal parenting there. Why are all these moms doing it? And why is it controversial to say, I don't think this is appropriate to be happening for kids? And oh, by the way, why would a stripper, male or female, want to be performing in front of a child? How did we create this world where a drag show brunch where moms take their kids, young kids to, minor children, is acceptable? It's crazy. You can be fine with LGBTQ whatever, and also not believe that people should be getting basically naked in front of children and gyrating in front of them. And I had Carol Markowitz along, you know, Buck Sexton and I did yesterday. Carol writes New York post. She's fantastic. We had this conversation. I said, Hey, what in the world is going on? And she said, I think the moms, because I specifically asked about the moms. When I watch these videos, very rarely if ever are men there other than the nude performers semi-nude, whatever, it's almost always the moms. What are they thinking? And she said, it's peer pressure. And I think probably the theory is right. They want to be so pro-LGBTQ whatever that all these moms are doing something that if their husbands did the same thing, they would say, this is crazy. And so I, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I look around, I'm like, how did we end up here? I never thought that I'd be saying, you know what? Kids shouldn't be showing up for strip striptease shows. Like, that seems pretty normal. And I think every dad out there is listening to me. is like nodding along. Imagine if you took your son or daughter to a bachelor party strip show. You would deservedly expect that you would get charged probably with child endangerment. So just because moms are doing it for transgender performers doesn't change the actual process by which kids are being sexualized near nude dancers, regardless of what their backgrounds are. Just think about it. Uh, Michael Irvin has filed a lawsuit against, I believe, it I don't even want to say the hotel chain, because I'm not sure which hotel chain it is. But he was out in Florida, uh, sorry, out in Arizona, And uh, he was accused of behaving inappropriately with a hotel employee. And this happened at the Super Bowl uh, out in Arizona. And immediately he was pulled off all programming. Couldn't go on ESPN. Couldn't go on uh, NFL Network. Whatever shows are out there that Michael Irvin, the playmaker, would have otherwise been on. And Michael Irvin had a press conference today. And I was watching uh, some of the headlines, reading about it. And I got to be honest with you. He's saying, will you release the tape? Will you release the evidence that came out that led to me being unemployable right now so I can go back to work? Because I didn't do anything wrong. This is what Michael Irvin's saying. And I got to be honest with you. There does not appear so far to be any evidence that would explain why Michael Irvin is not allowed to To continue to do his job. I look, I look at the facts. I would be if Michael Irvin is calling for the release of the video, there's no allegation that he behaved so far that I've seen in a criminal fashion. It's just supposedly he behaved in, I I think made like some sexually harassive comments to a hotel employee. And as a result, unable to work the whole Super Bowl. And we're now sitting here. Whatever it is, six weeks after the Super Bowl, and he's still trying to clear his name. And so I don't, I, I, I'm kind of with Michael Irvin. Now, I think he said like this is a modern day lynching, like all that stuff. Ah, hold on. You know, there's a big difference between you getting accused of something inappropriate and not being able to do your job and someone being murdered because of their race. But he does have a point that the evidence against him should be uh, proffered into the public arena and we should determine whether or not he can continue his job. I I believe Michael Irvin making legitimate cases. Now, I haven't seen all the evidence, but if he's saying, hey, I didn't do anything wrong, release the video, release the evidence of fact that I didn't do anything wrong, I think he certainly can make that case. Finally, my good friends at Media Matters. Um, They, uh, you know, I have... Truth be told, I have a Google alert for my name. I don't spend very much time like reading mentions, people sharing me, oh, so-and-so said this about you or whatever else. I have a Google alert. I think I get it a couple days a, couple days a week set for Clay Travis. And Google sends me a, uh, a roster of stories that people have written about me. Uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, whatever it is, and so this morning uh, I got that alert, and I saw that Media Matters had written another article about me. This is like an 8,000 word piece, and I just thought it was funny. I want to thank Media Matters, whoever for Media Matters is watching this show. Hi, I appreciate you helping to give more publicity to OutKick. I appreciate all the work you're doing to further grow the audience of OutKick, which is exploding skyrocketing on an incredible upward trajectory. I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, But they have a story where the headline is, and I I also would like to say, I like this picture better than the previous hit piece picture. So credit where credit is due. Clay Travis, here's the headline. Clay Travis promotes right-wing outrage all over his so-called sports network. Okay. That's the headline, all in big caps. Then the subheadline is Outkick founder Clay Travis pushes coronavirus misinformation as well as racist and conspiratorial talking points on his sports site. Now, look, uh, I'm used to this. I would just point out, I'm really disappointed you didn't slide in. Sexist, homophobic, transphobic. It's this—I mean, racist, whatever. It doesn't have the same appeal that it used to. You need to layer it a little bit more. The hit piece has to have more depth to it. I'm just asking. One of the hit pieces here, and it's like this—like an eight thousand word piece, like legitimately citing all the content that I do. Travis interviewed New York Post Miranda Devine, who wrote the original story on Hunter Biden's laptop. On his sports podcast. Now, this is not 100% true. I do a podcast called Wins and Losses. From the moment we started the Wins and Losses podcast, it is described as sports, business, media. You go look at the guests that I have talked to. It's long-form conversations on a variety of topics over the past several years. And frankly, I love doing it. I've been so busy, I haven't had a lot of time. I got a new book coming out soon. I got like eight different shows. I got like 20 jobs, all right? Um... But yes, I interviewed Miranda Devine. And it says, she insisted her story on the laptop showed Joe Biden was, quote, intimately involved with the supposed scandal. Um, And then they question whether, in reality, evidence shows Joe Biden was involved with his son's business dealing, hasn't materialized, and evidence he knew of the specifics of Hunter's dealings is questionable at best. Okay. So you disagree with Miranda Devine. Like, why is that not a conversation that's allowed to happen. If anything, we've seen an awful lot of conspiratorial stories that have ended up being proven true. It's one reason outkick keeps growing. So that's this is a hit piece, unacceptable. Travis also used his sports podcast to platform. This is a big thing they say, to platform. To platform Babylon B CEO Seth Dillon who lamented the Babylon B Bee has been banned from Twitter for violating the site's terms of service about misgendering transgender people. This is from May of 2022. Dylan complained Twitter engaged in, quote, viewpoint discrimination by refusing to allow his website to post content that misgendered Assistant Secretary of Health Rachel Levine. Travis allowed Dylan to argue he has a right to harass people for being transgender. No, no, no. This is so dumb. Rachel Levine is a biological man who has decided to identify as a woman. The Babylon Bee satirically named uh, Rachel Levine its man of the year to ridicule the absurdity of people being able to switch from one gender to another and immediately then become the woman of the year. Like Leah Thomas. Was a male swimmer, becomes a female swimmer, and immediately gets nominated for woman of the year. Only been a woman for like two years and already the woman of the year. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. That deserves to be satirized. But having a conversation with someone is the very definition of what the marketplace of ideas should be. My platform has become huge because I welcome people who agree and disagree with me on a variety of topics. What did we talk about a couple weeks ago? The Brookings Institute, in conjunction with the New York Times, labeled the Clay and Buck Show the number three purveyor of misinformation in all of podcast and radio shows. So what did I do? Did I run and hide? No. I went straight to the Brookings Institute. I asked for their data And I invited any member of the Brookings Institute to come on my radio show and explain what purveyors of misinformation we were, what we were doing wrong. Brookings, I told them, come on, any day. We'll make time for you. Brookings Institute said, we can't do it. Also went to the New York Times. They put that article on the front page of the business section. I said, hey, New York Times writer, open forum, come on the biggest radio show in the country You can tell our millions of people listening every day on our audience exactly what we're doing that's wrong. Guess what happened? They also didn't come on at all. Okay? Like, I'm not running and hiding. I talk to people every day, millions of people. I tell them exactly what I think. And I also say, hey, if you disagree, more power to you. That's what the marketplace of ideas is. If your arguments and your stories and your uh, media content is better than mine, more power to you, you're going to be more successful. But guess what? Almost none of them are. Love you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, thank you so much for supporting OutKick all over platforms everywhere. Um, Like I said, maybe a show tomorrow for OutKick the show. If not, I'm headed off to Italy. Cannot wait. Never been before. Uh, I thank all of you for being such great supporters of OutKick. I will see you sometime on the flip side.